0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: I am Sarah Jane Case and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends. Happy Friday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today, I am sharing audio from an Instagram Live that I did reading passages from my new book for your Enneagram type, but first, today's Rosebud and Thorn. My rose today is that I came into the office for the first time this week, and it was just a magical way to be welcomed back. There were bangs, shoes on my desk for me to have, and a pina colada style coffees were being made by Counterculture, and I got to have one. It was just such a joy and such a fun way to come back. My thorn is that I am really, really hoping to catch a yoga class tonight at 5 p.m. And I am feeling a little bit crunched for time. Like, I hope I can make it. I don't know if I will, but fingers crossed. And my bud is, y'all, street team stuff is starting. And I am so excited to get to hang out with a smaller group of you every single week. If you haven't signed up for the street team yet, it would be So amazing if you did. It's just a group of humans who are up for writing early reviews of my new book, and in exchange, you get an early edition PDF copy of the book, and you can come hang out with me on Facebook every week. We're doing like a book club until the book is live. Now, the link to join is in the show notes. You can join even if you don't have time for a book club. I understand that, Um, but you're just up for helping out i would love to have you you don't even need to have an audience or be like an influencer you just have to have pre-ordered the book and link for that is in the bio as well i really hope i get to meet you and hang out with you soon i love the chances that we have to have reciprocal communication and it's not just me talking to you but you get to also talk back to me that's my favorite so i hope that you join and hang out with me in the street team you can join at any time okay okay let's dive into are live. Hello everybody, I am popping on a surprise live. I did not announce that I was going to do this, so um, surprise, I'm here hanging out. Uh, Today is officially the day that my book can, I can like offer you incentives for pre-ordering my book. We have some really cool ones that I want to tell you about, but I thought it would be fun to read to you from the book. Uh, This is my new book, The Enneagram Letters. It's a poetic exploration of who you thought you had to be. Essentially, I took the nine pressures of the Enneagram and I wrote personal essays and poems dedicated to each of those nine pressures. Perfectionism, um, being loved and liked, being successful, being significant, being informed, being supported, being satisfied and happy, being strong, and being easy to get along with. Um, It explores kind of the idea that we have all Enneagram types inside of us. We, We have all of those nine pressures And that growth through the Enneagram is about exploring the part of ourselves that can operate out of any of the nine types. So I'm going to read to you a little bit from the section why I wrote this book. I started my self-help journey when I was really young. My middle school journals are filled with inspirational quotes and clipped out pages of chicken soup for the soul books. At times, the messages learned through self-help are healing and inspiring. They make us feel more connected to life and to ourselves. Other times they make us feel like we're failing or like we aren't quite living up to our own standards. With the Enneagram, sometimes it can feel so disorienting that it's hard to tell what is growth and what's obsession. Believe in yourself feels great when you hit a roadblock and need that extra internal motivation to keep pushing, It feels defeating when you are so far away from self-belief that the idea of believing in yourself feels impossible, like a skill you need to learn, but have no idea where to start. Just keep going is beautiful when life is hard and you need to remember to just put one foot in front of the other, but it's debilitating when you are already burned out and what you really need to do is stop going for a second and breathe. So often self-help gurus online teach things like they Teach these things like they are magic pills you take to make life better, easier, and more fulfilling. A get-rich-quick scheme for your soul, yet they neglect to share the struggles along the way, the ache in your gut when things aren't so easy, and the emotional mountains you climb on this journey. I see this happen with the Enneagram all the time, even in my own life. We become so focused on the system and finding where we fit into the system and who we are supposed to be that we ignore how it makes us feel, or simply we overthink it. We ask questions such as, if I'm unhappy, can I really be a type seven? Or if I'm no longer fearful of conflict, am I truly a type nine? This can lead to seeking to over identify with our type structure to the point that growth isn't possible. Or if you are like me, you start to associate your personality with being wrong. Like anything about your type is somehow a problem even though there are some truly beautiful traits you carry related to your Enneagram type. Like, enjoying busyness feels like a failure when maybe it's just kind of neutral. In my opinion, self-help is best used from a healthy distance. When we start to examine ourselves under a microscope, things get blurry and weird and a little too intense. We tend to forget the simple practice that self-help is meant to help us. To make life more enjoyable and to aid in healthier relationships and better communication, It's not here to make us dizzy with self-awareness and obsessed with perfecting the way we show up in the world. You are not a project to be tinkered with. You are a living, breathing being who is worthy of a life well-lived. And sometimes that means engaging with self-help. And yes, even the Enneagram through the filters of, is this pouring love in? Do I feel expanded by this? Is this a healing balm? Does this nurture me? Is this improving my life? And finally, how can I engage with this in a way that truly supports me? Which brings me to the question I want you to leave with. As you open the pages of this book, what if there is absolutely nothing wrong with you? And your growth work is simply about letting yourself be the truest, purest, most open version of who you are. How would your relationship to self-help change? So that's why I wrote this book. That's what I hope you take away from this book. that you're okay. You're all right. You don't have to constantly be fixing and improving. And that self-help and self-growth can come from a place of nurturing and love and just offering ourselves more space and more compassion and understanding why we do the things that we do rather than I need to fix and probe and tinker with myself until I'm somehow beyond this human experience that we will never escape. So that is the book, The Enneagram Letters of Poetic Exploration of Who You Thought You Had to Be. Um, If you guys want to tell me your type, I can read a passage for you if you tell me in the comments. Um, That might be really fun to do. While I wait for people to send their type in, I will say pre-orders are available now. Um, Pre-ordering is basically you're just ordering the book and it's going to show up to you on the day that it, it goes live. So you will get it as soon as you possibly can. And th- it's amazing for me as an author, because it basically all of the pre-orders show up as the first days, the first week's sales, which means that, um, I see you, rate, right? Which means that it helps bookstores to know that, people want to read this book. It helps it to get on the list. It's a really big deal for authors. Um, at the same time, you get perks and bonuses. So we have to put together a journaling prompt um, workbook guide that's going to guide you through exploring the part of yourself that is in each of the Enneagram types. I think it's like a must-have when it comes to reading it with this book. I think it would make reading this book exponentially more life-changing. So it's definitely worth that. If you don't know your Enneagram type, it also comes with my free self-typing workshop, um, which is going to help guide you through how to find your Enneagram type. So if you're interested in buying the book at all, definitely pre-order it because it's going to give you a lot more things to go. Yeah, you're going to get more for your books. More for your books? You know what I'm saying. All right, um, Rach, we have type four. All right, I will read to you from type four. <coughs> Um, the middle place. A pinprick pain can be so much more when we dig our fingers into it, and this word that reminds us of harm we once felt can be its own form of trauma when we demand that it be heard. What starts as a flesh wound gets peeled at the edges until the entirety of it is felt, honored, heard. It starts as the demand that our pain not be ignored, and ends as our wounds eat us alive. Now, I'm not saying that our feelings aren't worth being validated, or that we need to Just think positively until the world gives us what we want. Quite the contrary. However, there is a vast chasm of variety between toxic positivity and swimming in our despair. One extreme asks us to ignore the realities of our suffering and think happy thoughts amid real abuse against ourselves and those more vulnerable. The other sinks us lower and lower into the belief that there is nothing here for us and nothing good can happen until we change the world. Surely we can find a middle place. The trouble I think is that the middle has often been complacent. We see it as average or as tolerant. If you stand in the middle, then what do you stand for? So we sink into one extreme or the other and attempt to feel something, anything, choosing to be a balloon whose weightlessness lifts us from being down to earth or choosing to be an anvil whose sturdiness can't be blown by the wind. In my early twenties, I've lived much like a balloon floating from one entertaining moment to the next Holding on to the belief that the world is working things out for me no matter what I do. Dancing my way through life. Missing moments because I was too busy planning future adventures. In my early 30s, I felt more like an anvil. Sinking into the weight of all that has harmed me. Building up walls to keep out more pain. Insisting on every emotion being heard, validated, and accounted for. Now, I just want to be a basketball I expect for life to throw me against the wall or I will lose a bit of air here and there, but in the midst of this, I trust that I will always bounce back. Uh, Who else? Type three, okay. Okay. This is called work is my favorite way to ignore the realities of life. When I was in school, I used to make up homework assignments for myself. If the teacher hadn't sent anything home, I would come up with something, a random writing assignment no one asked for or multiplication sheets I'd write out myself. I'm not even sure I told anyone they weren't required. I honestly think I liked that they thought it was assigned to me. Like I could disengage from the expectations at home if I had a lot of work to do. I did the same thing with my first few businesses, making up work that could always be done. A new website every quarter, assigning myself new platforms to master and skills to build, working holidays and weekends, not because it was necessary, but because work was my favorite way to ignore the realities of life. It always has been. Even as a child playing teacher or grocery store clerk, I knew how to assume the posture of hardworking adult as a distraction from the pain of being human. It's not completely invalidated by society either. The the world tells us to work hard, to lose sleep and to succeed at all costs, much of which is about patting ourselves on the back for the act of doing without a clear understanding of where we are going. I think that's what makes work such a convenient distraction, because few people will argue with you when you say you have to work. Friends won't feel bad that you would turn down their invitation. Spouses know you're working hard for the family. And even you can start to believe that work really is that all-consuming. It's the perfect illusion. With work as such a convenient distraction, the reminder that we are breathing in pain at every pause can be put off for just another day and put off and put off and put off until something breaks. A family member gets sick of it and makes an ultimatum. We come to grips with the fact that we're exhausting ourselves, or we look in the mirror one day and don't know who we are anymore. In that breaking point, we are invited to a new pattern, a new pace, a new way of being, but we often try to treat the behavior without looking at the cause of the problem. We work less, but it itches. It's uncomfortable and we feel like our skin is made of ants that just want to do something already. Every cell in our body moving rapidly even though we are sitting still. For me, when that happens, I usually give up. I convince myself that I'm someone who needs to be busy in order to be happy and I start to make up more work to do. Selling it more convincingly this time so that no one will question my intentions. But when we look underneath this need for progress, we can find the truth beneath the truth. I like to work, starts to look a lot more like I'm scared of being lazy. I'm afraid that I'll let my family down. It's my job to capitalize on the sacrifices my parents made, or even simply, I'm unhappy. And from there, we can start to heal. And just like a wound that is starting to scab over, it may itch a bit for a while. But eventually, the body regenerates. The scab goes away, and we forget that the itch was even there at all. Anyone else? Let's see... If you guys want to hear an excerpt from the book on your Enneagram type, just let me know your type in the comments. Oh, thank you, Rach. Mm -hmm. I'm getting kind of, okay, we have type nine. Okay, this is called Hippie Town. I live in a hippie town, a tourist destination for the energetically curious. There's an interesting phenomenon that you can watch from cafe windows. When people come to visit, they will often dress in boho or hippie style clothing. $100 skirts meant to look like they were purchased at a thrift store. Perfectly groomed hair with a feather clipped in. It's obvious to us the tourists playing hippie for a day and those who have made it a lifestyle. The true hippies who live in our town wear their sacrifices on their skin. They smell of earth and sunshine and have dirt under their nails from digging up breakfast. Those playing hippies smell like Bloomingdale's wearing a gardener's clothes. It reminds me of the times I've played tourist in my own skin. The versions of me that I played just so I could blend in, the ease of which I put on an opinion or a personality as a way not to vibrate at too large a frequency, as to make rifts in the space between myself and others. A visitor in my own body, watching my soul sink back as my desire to connect took the lead. Blending my being with the surrounding, a whisper of someone easy to get along with. In meditation, we often chant Om. Recently, I came to understand that it's a representation of joining ourself with the entirety of. I'll I'll say that part again. Recently, I came to understand that it's a representation of joining ourself with the entirety of the universe, in honoring of the self, the expanse of time, and of all people. In many ways, playing tourist in this life gives us a chance to experience a watered-down version of Aum, to see what it's like to be in another's shoes. It's a beautiful invitation into seeing ourselves not as separate from others, but as deeply and intrinsically connected. However, when blending leads to self-forgetting, om cannot occur. It, it is truly, it is joining self with the expanse of the universe, which cannot truly do when self is not present. Playing tourists can be a way in which we understand the beauty and the struggle of others. Yet as visitors, we only mimic the experiences of those we surround ourselves with we leave unscarred and without dirt beneath our nails, an illusion of connection that doesn't require sacrifice. As we seek to stand fully in our purpose, to be more than a vacant body designed to fit in, we must risk wearing life on our skin. The scars and the aches of trying and failing, the pains of rejection and loss, this is where we go for merging into OM. When self is fully developed and others are understood still, no longer tucking away our depths, but allowing both to exist at once. When we are tempted to blend in a moment, we should radiate and may we whisper, I love you back into our bones and drink of the courage to stand in all. This is called On Comfort in Chaos. My least favorite life lesson so far has been the importance of short-term sacrifice in order to ensure long-term comfort. Learning the importance of a savings account, health insurance, and regularly going to the dentist. Things that feel dull, stressful, or even life-sucking, some would say. All in the awareness that shoveling out money, time, and energy now will put us in less situations qualified as a crisis later on. The trouble with learning this lesson is that I was, and always have been, quite comfortable in crisis. In fact, I may even be more comfortable in a crisis than in the calm I know what to do in a crisis. Crisis raised me. High heart rates, shortened breath, quick problem solving, keeping my eyes out for threats, easy stuff. Breathing deeply, feet on the ground, silence. That's a panic attack waiting to happen. What is this strange and unfamiliar feeling? And when is someone going to blow this up? Ironically, I became very good at blowing up my own piece so that no one else could. Filling my schedule to the brim, finding things to be upset about, digging my heels down in fights to make sure I see them at their angriest before I get too comfortable. Turns out when you are raised in chaos, you become quite comfortable there. And anything else feels a bit like walking on a tightrope 10,000 feet above the ground, knowing that at any moment someone could pull the trampoline out from under you and there's nothing you could do about it. Humans are funny this way. We can find anything to feel shame about. I think it happens because we just don't have enough to do. Compared to our ancestors, I mean, cavemen didn't have didn't have time to stress about whether they were giving their kids too much processed food. They were busy trying to stay alive. In a way, this absurd obsession with improving everything comes from our comfort. Our our cells don't realize we aren't in constant threat, so they look for the threats all around. Some days the threat is our workload. In other days, the threat is the fact that we seem to be relaxing somehow, and that can't be right. Alert, alert, alert. And all of a sudden, while we're relaxing in a mall, Barnes & Noble, enjoying our day off, we can't quite find our breath, and we pick a fight with our partner away they fo- about the way they fold the towels. Just Me. Even if you're not obsessed with towel tidiness, you know what I'm talking about, though, don't you? The moment where everything seems to be good and we're finally getting a break, something in our brain clicks and tells us to check our emails, ask our partner a question that will inevitably pick a fight, look for evidence that we are actually not as okay as we happen to feel in this moment. I get it. A very real part of us is wired for self-defense. When we're on vacation or just happy, that part sort of loses its job. And I don't expect it to go down quietly. It's quite directly wired to do anything but that.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by sutton bank and celtic bank members of dic terms and conditions apply
1: i think we all have at least one person who has by their very presence changed our lives for the better Now, how incredible would it be if your company could find more of those life changing people right when you needed them? If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview and hire all in one place. You don't need to spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. If you hate waiting, Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers. Find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. If you've ever hired, you know what it feels like to put an ad up on a website and get just an influx, hundreds of interviews, hundreds of messages, and for not very many of them to be qualified for the job and to have to sift through all of these, and then sometimes even get into an interview with a candidate who's not even qualified to do what you are asking them to do, or someone who won't even, doesn't even want to do what you're asking them to do. That's what I love so much about the focus feature, instant match. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search according to US Indeed data. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of qualified candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Indeed does the hard work for you. Sponsor a job, and boom, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed Fit your job description immediately after you post. With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. Join over three million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit Indeed.com/egram to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com/egram. That's Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash egram. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. You need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, um, we have a type five. Okay, this is called your mind as a container store. Your mind is a container store. Each consideration tucked away into a tidy little box. Work in a box on the shelf high on aisle three. Friends from childhood on the shelf below the ones you met in adulthood. Each area relegated to its own zone, tightly sealed and kept apart. And then there is love. Like a scene from an alien movie, its tentacles are knocking at the seal on its box, demanding access to every other compartment. Its sticky arm reaching, threatening to disrupt the perfect equilibrium that you've maintained for so long. The effort it takes to keep shoving love back into its container, holding the lid as it tries to escape, makes you question if it's worth the effort. But love keeps knocking, asking the question, what do you do when there are things that can't be organized with your mind, but can only be felt with your heart? Nine. Sorry, I'm catching up, you guys, on who's commented. I think, who do, have we not done yet? I think we have we have done, okay, we got a two. Hi, Marissa. This is called Tiny Anvils. I have often held on to the illusion that I could be a part of everyone's solution. Like if I just pushed or wished or helped hard enough, then we could all be the best versions of ourselves together. The trouble with this logic is that it rarely actually helps anyone. In fact, no one even knows why I'm doing it, but I carry around the heaviness of burden as if it's mine to bear. The idea that people are not able to handle their situations without my intervention is ridiculous. They've all been fine before me and they will all be fine after me, yet somehow I fear that things will blow up if I don't intervene. What this looks like is carrying around little anvils of other people's problems that they never even asked for me to hold. The only person negatively impacted is me. I'm collecting burden after burden and gripping tighter and tighter in hopes that it will make things better, yet it only makes me more tired and resentful and difficult to get along with." It's funny because I have all these goals and dreams, goals to liberate women from boring lives where we are trained to settle, goals to participate actively and passionately in the pursuit of equality for all people, goals to love my people and see the world. Yet, instead of giving my undivided energy to these things, I collect anvil after anvil of other people's struggles and goals and dreams as if they are my own. It's not like they like it either, they don't. They want to be loved for where they are now and that's ultimately my only job. Yet, I think they need to thrive according to my standards of what that means, and I power through to make that happen for them, against their will sometimes. I started doing this meditation where I imagine cutting them off like balloons. Each balloon is an outcome, a person, or a situation I'd like to control. Some are light and floaty, and others feel like lead. I envision myself carrying all these problems in situations that are 100% out of my control, and I laugh at myself for falling victim to this mind trickery. Then I take each one, mindfully cut it off, and watch it either float away or sink. What is left is what I can actually impact, myself and myself alone. And she looks so much lighter there, without the weight of the world tied to her shoulders. And she looks like she has so much space for more of what she actually wants to be giving her energy to. In that moment, I'm happy for her. Okay, friends, I've done everyone, I think, except for one and six. So let's just do one and six. If you're here and you're a one or a six, this is for you. And if you're just joining us, I'm reading excerpts from my new book, The Enneagram Letters, um, in celebration of it being a pre-order day. Okay, so this is for our type ones. It's for all of us who carry the pressure to do everything right. My therapist yelled at me once for how often I clean out the fridge. Well, she questioned me and it hit so piercingly close to home that it felt like a scream for weeks. I'd been in her office complaining of how tired I was, how impatient I felt with my partner and how there never seemed to be enough time. In passing, I mentioned that I had a Monday routine where I clean out my fridge, plan meals for the week, go to the store, and prep all the fruits and veggies. This was in addition to my regular high stress work, going to see her, and all the other bits and bobs that go along with being a wife, a business owner, and a mother. She paused me and said, You clean out the fridge every single week? Of course. I had never even questioned that before. Do you know how often I clean out the fridge? Every few months. In that moment, I thought of my Saturday routine, where I wake up early and make a list of every single thing I can think of that needs to be done and then spend my weekend doing it, all to head into Monday morning as I'd set it up and into the rest of the week where I'd inevitably overscheduled myself once again, putting a tick in my mind to figure out how to stop doing that, and by Friday we'd start all over with the list and the tasks and the doing. It was like I saw my life flash before my eyes and it was me climbing the ladder to a high dive rung by rung every single week only to jump off and do it all over again. Being told that I could be a perfectly suitable human being and have food go bad in my fridge felt like quitting a terrible job without giving notice. Dramatically untying my apron, tossing it on the counter while throwing my middle finger in the air and walking out the door in a blaze of glory. Liberating, but wrong. It wasn't that I was obsessed with cleaning out my fridge as much as I had taken the time to figure out the best way to meal plan. If we clean out our fridge before we meal plan and go to the store, then we know what ingredients we have to make our meals and we know what we are about to run out of. It's a perfect system. Then we have to prep the veggies and the fruits right away so they're easy to grab and we don't accidentally let them go bad because we didn't want to prep them in that moment. When cleaning out the fridge, the veggie scraps are used to make broth later in the week month. Nothing goes to waste. This would be fine if it was the only thing I'd perfected, but I was making life a sequence of overcomplicated stressors justified by the fact that they were so well thought out. Everything had a purpose and it was all done the right way. When I met my husband, he had a habit of stopping at the grocery store every single day. He'd just run to the store, buy the ingredients for whatever meal he planned to make that night, and then he'd go home and make it. This drove me bananas. I felt like he was wasting time and probably money, so I came up with my perfect system, and I took the weight off it off onto my shoulders because it was my idea, and quite frankly, because I don't trust anyone else to do it the way I would do it. So you may be just as surprised as we were when in our seventh year of being together, the following words came out of my mouth. For the next few months, can we go back to doing grocery shopping the way I used to do it when we met? For this small habit change, I was able to finally understand that although I may have found the right way when it comes to lots of things like food waste, budgeting, time management and organization, it was the absolutely wrong way for me. The pressure to maintain the right way was exhausting, making me impatient with the ones I love and taking precious time away from the work I have to do in this world. Um, Anyone else, if you want your um me to read a section from the book, For your type, just let me know. Put your type in the comments below. Uh, I think the only one we haven't read yet is Six now. So I'm just going to go ahead and read Six while we're here. This one's called Birdhouse. There's an old birdhouse in our backyard that I am oddly attached to. My husband and our neighbor have both expressed interest in replacing it with a nice new one, but I refuse. There's something beautiful to me in its weathered roof, chipping paint, and the way it leans far to the left like an old tree who's tired of standing tall. I realized that a new birdhouse would be beautiful in its own way, and it would probably do a better job at being an actual birdhouse, but I can't imagine a life looking out the window across a yard full of leaves and flowers and snow without the one that I know. This birdhouse watched me tour the home in fear that we wouldn't have anywhere else to go. It watched us move in on that first summer without enough furniture to fill the rooms. It watched during that season I tried to get into jump rope and the hours of riding my husband has done at the dining room window. It watched as my son finally started playing outside by himself and my first attempt at a garden grown in pots, first by the driveway and the next year on the patio, both starting strong and ending as food for the deer. It watched us go from timid and transient to making the space our home. It is a part of our story, a vessel that holds our memories in its Swiss cheese walls, and I love it. I'm reminded of a friendship I'd held on to much the same. Every unkind word floating off of me like it didn't leave a stain. Each night of being told that my experience could be solved and she had the answers. The night being left drunk and alone in a bar with a strange man walking home at midnight in a snowstorm because she was meant to be my ride. All the cracks and the chips were beautiful because she'd been she'd borne witness to my life for a time. It was a cold fall day on a lake in Canada that I had a conversation with someone I'd known for a moment and felt more seen and accepted than I had with this friend of several years. They listened and were present, and I saw what it would be like to have a friendship with proper support. And I suppose it will be the same when my husband replaces this birdhouse and sturdies up its foundation. A beautiful reminder that what we tolerate will remain until we change what we withstand. I see someone commented their type, and I'm going back to find you. Okay, we've got a three... Okay, this is for three on following your heart, or the part of any of us that feels the need to be successful. I saw a vision of your heart today, a, naggy ch- a nagging child pulling at your pants legs saying your name on repeat. They wondered desperately why everything else seemed to be more important than what they had to say. And I know you have dreams and your ambitions feel like a lifeboat that will carry you to the place where you can finally pause long enough to listen. But I'm worried that by the time you get there, your heart will have lost the will to try. Or more likely, upon arriving at your destination, you will see the next one off in the distance, begging for one more leg of the journey to feel the way you thought you'd feel upon this arrival. So your weary arms keep rowing, never knowing when to stop because there is no resting place for those who find their worth in doing. There's only doing to be done. And your heart is banging at the door of your chest, writhing with answers to what you really need. But choosing to listen means risking stagnation, and there are no gold st- and there are no gold stars for that. Yay! Okay, um, I th- think I saw one more person. Okay, if you guys have your type and you want me to read a section for you, just type your. Um, your Enneagram type in the comments and I will read a section for you. Otherwise we can wrap up. Um, As a reminder, this is, I'm reading from my book, The Enneagram Letters. Um, It's a poetic exploration of who you thought you had to be. It's exploring the idea that we all carry all nine pressures of the Enneagram inside of us. And um, I explore that through poetry and personal essays and, It also, when you pre-order, comes with your own journaling guide to help you explore the part in you that is each Enneagram type and how that impacts your life and shows up for you. And um, I see we have a five. I'll read. I'll read for you. Okay, this is called Grief Out Loud. When I'm sad, I feel like a feral cat I want to hide under the car and hiss at anyone who gets close. It's embarrassing to be seen in my weakness, like I'm giving a part of myself away to them, like they can drink my tears and take my power. So I hide it away and give it to private moments and write about it and share it once the pain has left me stronger. The one in control of my story. But grief came in and ripped me open. As I write to you, I'm sitting on a bench in a park in Savannah, Georgia, smiling at strangers in between shaking sobs. It's 90 degrees out and so humid that I can chew the air. I have a bright yellow bow in my hair and sorrow in my bone marrow. I know how to crinkle my eyes so that people think I'm happy, but my hands are shaking so much that it can't really grip my pen. Why this pain? Why is this the one that cracked me open and keeps the salt water pouring out? Why not my grandfather, who is more of a dad to me anyway? Perhaps it has to do with watching my husband care for our son, seeing how he tenderly engages with his feelings, lovingly puts him to bed, and keeps improving himself as he seeks to love his son better. I didn't have this close-up picture of a father before I met him. I didn't know what people had. I didn't know what I'd been missing. I've put those pieces together over the years and even processed it a bit with my husband and my therapist, but I guess I hadn't really grieved it. I'm also trying to feel things these days. The desire to close off and rationalize is hindered with the awareness of the havoc it can wreak on your body and your mind. Knowing that my one functioning kidney is already experiencing a degree of distress while my lungs struggle to breathe is enough for me to know that I can't keep ignoring my pain. At some point, you have to slow down and just feel things. Fear, sadness, anger, terror, memories, all of it. That's where I am. And while it's awkward and makes me feel uncomfortable and like a bit of a burden or a charity case, I am also so very happy to feel alive. I'm happy to know that this, too, is just part of being human. It's part of living a life wide open, digging my fingers into the damp soil of sorrow and making art out of dirt. All right, friends, that's it for today. Um... Suggest Paige Marie pre-ordered from Amazon yesterday. Does the journal and self-typing workshop arrive with the pre-order? That is a great question. Thank you for asking. So you go to the link in my bio um, on Instagram. There's a place for, it's. I think it says pre-order incentives, maybe pre-order bonuses. You click there and you just show your proof of purchase and fill out the form and it'll send you the PDF with the journaling prompts, which I honest to goodness think everyone should do along with the book. I really do think it's like the best way to get the most out of the book. Um, It also comes with a self-typing workshop. So if you are determining your Enneagram type or if you have a friend or a family member who is determining theirs and you want to gift it to them, that's fine with me um, that is also free for you as well. So yeah, it's through the link in my show notes. You fill out the form link in my show notes, gosh, podcast brain, the link in my bio. Um, and you just fill out the form and the, it emails it to you directly. So yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this little surprise live and, um, yeah. Pre-order the Enneagram letters, please, please, please pre-order it. If you think you're going to buy it, pre-ordering it would mean the world to me it's a huge it's a huge deal and it gives you more fun things so thank you guys so much and um maybe we'll do this again sometime soon if you liked it